Good morning. I am very techy, so please excuse me for my setup. It is a terror, it is an honor and a terror to preach the Word of God, thinking about all the weight of accountability <laughs> to preach, but it is also a huge joy to, to, to share the Word of God with you. And as, you, and as the Bible says, how, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Amen? All right. I discovered my, my love of telling stories from preaching, actually. And today, I'm tasked to tell a story of Abimelech, son of Gideon, the tyrant of Book of Judges. If we can turn to Book of Judges 9, as, you, as, as Carson have read earlier, I appreciate that. This story is not, it is definitely not a fairy tale with a happy ending. It is a very hard to swallow story of betrayal, mass destruction, and injustice, all caused by the sin of self-worship. By the end of the sermon, I pray that the Lord will make us remember God's holiness in judgment and mercy and cause us to forsake sins and submit to Him. So for the first section of the sermon, I'll be going through the narrative and make, make you all understand it the way the author wants you to. Then I'll make the sermon points as we draw near to the end. I recommend you taking notes along, alongside your Bible, alongside your notes, because there's a lot of details in the story that I, that I prefer you not to miss, but you, you can make notes however you like. And there, I guarantee you there is no shortage of amazement along the way. So let's dive into the scriptures. Let's, start, let's go to Judges 9, chapter 1. Actually, let's go to Judges 8 before, before we head into the main story. Judges 8, verse 29. This is the death of Gideon. We ended the story of Gideon two weeks ago at chapter 8, verse 29 to 35, and Pastor Brian concluded his sermon on Gideon's king syndrome. What were the symptoms? It is written that in the 40 years of Gideon judging the land of Israel, Jerubel became his name, which means let Baal contend he amassed so much wealth that he was able to have 70 legitimate sons and however many daughters through his many wives. He also had an illegitimate son through a concubine by the name of Abimelech, which basically means, my daddy is the king. It is very on the nose. He also died a king's death, buried in his father's tomb, symbolizing the worth of his inheritance. If Jerubel wasn't a king, I don't know who can be called one. But what happens next? Notice the phrase, as soon as, in verse 33 in chapter 8. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. Immediately, without pause, as soon as the, death, the news of the death of uh, Gideon spread, people stopped hiding their idolatry. They put the Philistine god on the table. They don't have to hide it anymore. It's kind of like, it kind of like when you're, like, oh, when you're on the clock in the office and you're using the computer, but you're, really used, but you're really playing a game or something. But when the boss comes by, you control D to the desktop and, and say to the boss, I'm only opening Excel. And then, and, then you, and then the boss walks away and then you go back to your game again. This is exactly like Israelites. The Israelites had a heart of rebellion all along and they were committing idolatry. The author of Judges made a narration here. Notice verse 34 and 35. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. 
And they did not show steadfast love to the, to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and returned for all the good that he had done for Israel. The author emphasized the tremendous grace uh, God has shown Israel. He says, all the enemies on every side he has delivered them from, as well as the disloyalty of the people towards God and the family of Gideon. He says, they, don't, they didn't remember. They didn't show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam. And, and behind all this, you can feel the chill of the righteous fury of the Lord from these plain words. And you almost want to say, I have a bad feeling about this. And God's judgment falls on the people that does happen through Gideon's illegitimate son, Abimelech. So, but before we move on, I really want to focus on Gideon. Gideon said all the glory to God, but he lived just like a king, taking advantage of his calling from God. And we know the outcome of those who steal glory from God. Gideon failed both, both personally and corporately. When Gideon took God's glory to, to make profit for himself, to make everyone worship him instead of God, um, he provoked God to jealousy. And we know God said he is one. James 4.5 said, God jealously desires the spirit which he has made to, to dwell in us. He, and he also promises over and over again from Isaiah, from Micah 5.13, to cut off the carved images and the sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. That is the will of the Lord. Yet Gideon, as a judge, failed to worship God, but took God's glory and worshiped himself. And corporately, as a judge, Gideon failed to lead worship and for, lead Israel in bowing down to Yahweh. Unlike Deborah, and, unlike Deborah and Barak, everyone who could freely worship however they wanted, he was the watchman that watched his people falling to sin. And God is requiring his blood as a watchman. Gideon's sin will affect a whole generation after him through his son. As we go through the story, pay attention to the character of Abimelech. As Gideon's illegitimate son, he will become even more ruthless in his pursuit of power. So let's turn to chapter 9. Just like how Darth Vader greeted the rebels, rebel gang on Cloud City, Abimelech the tyrant immediately becomes the villain of the story. It is written here in verse 1 that Abimelech went to Shechem to his mom's family to convince the people to make him king. Now Shechem at this point is not a small town like, uh, like Downingtown, PA, but it's more like Philly or Gettysburg to the history of the United States. It was where God appeared to Abram to make a promise with him. It was also the first place of the altar in the promised land. Shechem was a place of worship, of serving the Lord. But Abimelech here is going to Shechem and taking the whole, the whole reign and control for himself. Now, if you remember, Israel was essentially ruled by the 70 sons of Gideon. But in, um, in verse 2 and verse 3, as, as Abimelech made his campaign speech, speech with the voucher of his mom's relatives from, in the family, Abimelech usurped the control in Shechem, the holy ground of Israel, with little to no effort. Now, that really shows you how loyal the people really are. And that will definitely not come back to bite us. Nevertheless, Abimelech was funded with idle money, as it, said, as it was said in verse 4. They gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-Bereth, which he used to arouse worthless and reckless fellows, which were essentially criminals 
uh, and professional ruffians with no sense of morality. I love that word, ruffians. Abimelech now has a gain. What did he do? He went up to Afra, where his father's house was, about 30 miles north of Shechem. Now, who else were in Gideon's house? Now, Gideon died. We talked about the rulers. The 70 sons of Gideon, the rightful rulers of Israel. And here's where the inspiration of the Bible shines. It said in verse 5 that um, on one stone, on one stone, Abimelech massacred the 70 sons of Gideon. But the author stops there, leaving us to theorize the details. On one stone. I remember, I remember stories coming from the massacre of Nanking where Japanese imperial officers would chop off people's head because there were so many, so many of them. They would, they'll compete who can chop off people's fest, the heads the fastest, and they will fill up holes that kept, they kept running out of. Yet the Bible saves us from these details while still pounding us with the weight of that sin. What kind of injustice is this? In, on one stone, Abimelech and his self-worship killed all, his brothers especially, that stood between his reign. Destruction of self-worship only goes worse from here. Now, only the youngest son survived, Survived, as in verse, uh, verse 5 said, the Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped. The name of Jotham means Jehovah is perfect or blameless. By the way, have you noticed how Bible tells stories through people's names? While Jotham hid himself, Abimelech was coronated in Shechem to be the king of Israel as the illegitimate son of Gideon. As we look back at history, all the tyrants in the past manipulated everything around them to seize power unjustly. They became tyrants for their own realm. Abimelech, it will be, would be one of these tyrants. Now, when Jotham heard the news of usurpation of Abimelech, he went and spoke to all the people of Shechem on a nearby hill looking over, looking over the whole city, starting from verse 7. Although the Bible doesn't tell us what gave Jotham the courage to stand up against his brother's killers. His name, Jehovah's Perfect, might give us a clue. He gave a fable of trees choosing a king. Now, if you read it by, by itself, it might not make any sense to you, as it didn't make any sense to me. So, but essentially, what he said was, the trees went out to anoint a king over them. And they went by an olive tree, a fig tree, and a grapevine. All these trees and plants were valuable and magnificent crops of Israelites. But they pass on to the bramble, which is basically a thorn bush. Brambles were not at all, were not at all valuable plants. They don't produce food, they're too small, and it's too scraggy to provide any shade under the Middle Eastern sun. And they easily catch on fire and can spread out to the plantations around them. So, the bramble said, in, in, um, in verse 15, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And this really is an absurd statement. We already talked about how, bram how short the bramble is. But the bramble is demanding every tree, including the fig, the, the olive tree, extremely tall trees to, to take shade under a, a, a plant that is no taller than one and a half inch tall, one and a half foot taller. Yet, it, the, and 
The bramble then threatens all the plants that in case of any rebellion or any disobedience, the fire will come out to burn them all with itself. And if it still doesn't make any sense to you, Jotham explains the fable. Jotham first recalls the ugly usurpation of Abimelech, what he did to the house of Gideon out of unthankfulness and just forgetfulness, killed, killed 70 sons of Gideon exposing their treachery and their proneness to backstabbing. He then holds it up to their face and basically said, if you have in good faith, if you have, if you have dealt with my family, my, the father, my father Gideon faithfully, who has saved you out of sins, <laughs> who have saved you, who have delivered you, as you called, if you have been fair, if you have been loyal to my family, and let's face it, you haven't, and you, and, and, but if you have, may you find blessing in the Bramble King. But if you haven't, and let's face it, you haven't and you won't, let Yaul and Abimelech destroy each other in treachery. Jotham essentially warns the people of Shechem, if you dare betray the Bramble King, who is no good at ruling anyway, you know the consequences. Destruction. And what follows next, next is no less than that. So now, we have the tyrant Abimelech, who will kill everyone opposing his power, sitting on a throne, ruling over a people who are prone to betrayal. And nothing will go wrong, right? Now, come back next week. I'm just kidding. And uh, <laughs> So let, as we move into the, the second act of the story, verse, verse 22, uh, let's pay spe- more, even more attention to this. Uh, as, and we're told that Abimelech ruled over Israel three years in verse 22. We don't know what he did as a king, how he ruled, or whether people liked him or not. Yet the author of Judges shifts to Yahweh, the God of Israel. After what feels like a long time he was mentioned, he says in verse 23, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubel might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother who killed them on the men of, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. Just when God seems out of the picture, he reminds us that our Lord is still in control in the time of extreme injustice and chaos. God is acting out his own righteous judgment against evil, using evil. So there are two points to be made here. Firstly, he clarifies that it wasn't the curse of Jotham that had the power but rather God acting out his own will. Some people, some take, some thought that curses will have some mystical power, but here the Bible clarifies that Jotham really saw through the fragility of this reign and correctly made his words. Secondly, God is not the source of evil, but graciously he uses evil to achieve his righteous purposes. Aren't you glad about that? In this case, God repays the men of evil with the evil they had done. God didn't make the spirit evil, but made the evil spirit serve his own good purpose of punishing evil men for the evil they had done, as we will see exactly that. So Abimelech is repaid with the evil he committed with one stone. Spoilers. The evil spirit stirred, and the people of Shechem started plotting the betrayal. They first tried stabbing Abimelech in the back. And we, we read that in verse 25. Uh, we, to- we are told that the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against Abimelech, hoping to catch him off guard in the field. 
while they never caught and killed the Bramble King, they made profits robbing everyone along the way, and someone tipped off Abimelech. Now, I want you to make a special note on this phrase, and it was told to Abimelech. We will see that a whole lot. The news made Abimelech suspicious of the people. Though he wasn't sure the ambush was for him, he will not let this go in his paranoia. All who seek power unjustly are paranoid of losing their power, as we have seen in his recent history. So we are seeing the work of God is doing through the evil spirit, stirring up, stirring up tension between Abimelech and the people of Shechem. And the tension rises. Then it happened in the next episode that Gael, the son of Ebed, moved to Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. So Gael is usurping rule almost the same way Abimelech did, using his relatives. It also happened to be the grape festival, and the people of Shechem took every drop of grape juice, wine, and got drunk, and drunkenness exposed their true heart against Abimelech. It says that people reviled Abimelech. Gael took this opportunity and gave his campaign speech while being drunk, as it is said in verse 28. Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal, and not Zebul, his officer? Serve the man of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I will say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So what Gael said was claiming to be related to, to the founding fathers of Shechem, which were even more important than Gideon's position, which Abimelech used in his speech. But Gael outright challenged Abimelech's reign, which was, of course, symphony in the ears of the people of Shechem. But you can imagine how much rage is spurred up Abimelech and whoever followed him. And now Zebul, who was one of the professional ruffians Abimelech gathered, was still the ruler of Shechem at that time. When his reign is being challenged and despised, his anger burned, his city turned, turned against him, but he needs an army. So he thought he could, call, he, could, he could call his boss and gather the mob army. He then told Abimelech, the second time we heard this phrase, that in verse 31 to 33, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore go by night, you and the people who are, who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with them come out against you, you may do to them as, you fi as your hand finds to do. So Zebul suggested the dirty tactic of ambushing civilians in the field when people go out to work in the morning. And now, as we shift to Abimelech's perspective, he's suspicion is confirmed and Abimelech's anger burned. The nature of revenge and power hunger his father had magnified in him. He's out for blood. He took the four company, his four companies and set an ambush by night. But as soon as he saw Gale, he couldn't hold his anger and charged Gale. This is in verse, verse, um, verse 34. Now, I love discussing military tactics. So let's, let's do exactly that. What happened was Abimelech abandoned his original plan of ambush in the morning and rashly charged Gael in rage. Now, normally this would lose him all the surprise factors and tactical advantages 
because now he must lay siege to the city wall against the well-placed defenders of the city, like hot pan of pan of oil or, or archers along the city wall. But still, two things gave him the upper hand: the darkness of the night and Zebul. In the dryness of the Middle East, there is little to no vegetation. So if you if you have a thousand men coming down a hill from maybe a mile away, you will see that clearly. There's nothing to hide from. But the, the shadow of the night made made Gaius doubt it just enough. And plus, plus the word of Gaius, who convinced him that you you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men, it can it hold, held him up long enough so that uh, Abimelech could get close to the city. And as he as the man grew, drew close to the city, so to the point that there's no mistaking, Zebul taunted him in verse 38. He says, where's your mouth now? You who said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people you despised? Go out now and fight him, and I will sit and watch and laugh at you. So Gael had to awake these men and the leaders of Shechem with sleepy eyes against Abimelech, who is out for blood. The battle only went one way. Abimelech crushed Gael's men, and he had to flee. Zebul completely drove out Gael and his relatives from Shechem so that so they can never come back. And again, the Bible only gave us a glimpse of the horror of the war. As it is said, many, many, a great amount of people fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. So what happened was Abimelech chased the people of Shechem to the point until the gate, city gate was closed on him. Think about the field in front of the city they had to fight. Maybe two miles, maybe three, three miles long. Abimelech chased the people until, until the city gate. Even then, his primary target was Gael. But seeing that the leaders of Shechem were in Gael's army, he knows that the city has turned against him. And he can have none of that. He will have all killed who don't give glory to him alone. What happens next from verse 42 is what I call war crime number one, intentional massacre of civilians. On the very next day, Abimelech was told that people went out into the field. Enough said. He took his men, intending to kill all of them. Now, if you randomly started reading Judges at this point, you must think, wow, this Abimelech guy must be a megalomaniac and a warmonger to go after a civilian like that. And that is even more true in the context. Abimelech's sin of self-worship ran so deep that it completely consumed him and everybody around it. He demanded glory, and if not met, he, he unleashes violence and until everything either submits or gets destroyed. Now, after the failure of taking the city last night, he can't let that happen again. So he split up his army. He took two companies and rushed the gate before it was closed and left while leaving two companies to slaughter anyone standing in the field. Now, for those two companies standing in the field, think with me. Many felt wounded last night in the field. So, there are no fighters left in the city. Who are they killing? Those fighters, the families and relatives of those fighters who felt wounded on the, who felt wounded on the field. Abimelech is out for genocide. Scripture told us that in verse 40, 45, Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city, killed the people who were in it, 
razed the city, and sold it with salt. Not only did, every, did he killed everyone in the city, he scourged it and rendered it uninhabitable for at least a decade. This is the holy place for Israel. This is where God is worshipped. And now, look at where the sin has brought Israel. Total massacre, humiliation done by the Brembo king, from whom fire literally came out and consumed the city of Shechem. And what happens next is uh, very horrendous in verse 46. Abimelech then committed another war crime. He was told for the fourth time that the leaders of Shechem escaped to the idol temple on a hill outside the city. Now, this is the same idol, by the way, that Israel openly worshipped after Gideon died. This is also the same temple where the people of Shechem drew 70 pieces of silver to fund Abimelech's usurpation. It was probably a temple fortress enough to harbor a thousand people with walls all around it with a tower in the middle. Notice the wording in the verse. He was told that all the leaders were gathered together. What do you think he's going to do with that information? <laughs> now the Old Testament loves to write story this way. If something has happened, a summary will be given, and then the Old Testament writers will supply the details. For example, in verse 43, we were given a summary that Abimelech eventually killed off the, people, the, the city of Shechem. And verse 45 verse, and verse, to verse, 45, verse 44 to verse 45 supplied the details. Now, read with me. The author, of, the author of verse 48 and 49 didn't. He wants to highlight the details. What is the detail? It says, And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand, and cut down a bundle of brushwood, and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. He said to his men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. Now, how many of you have started a fire in a fire pit? Raise your hand. <laughs> so you know exactly what Abimelech is doing. He collected fire starters, and he's going to start a fire. In verse 49, So every one of the people cut down his bundle, and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold. They set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. That's a horrible scene. You have fire raging into the sky while people screamed in anguish. What horror! Abimelech burned the people alive, a thousand men and women. It was effective, but it was horrendous. It shows you how far Abimelech has gone without any sense of morality and fear of the Lord. The Brembo king set fire again and thus wiping out the people of Shechem in, in his sin for their sin. Abimelech is not done. In verse 50, we are told that he went to Thebes, which is some 20 miles up north. He conquered it. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a reason why he conquered it, but a tyrant and a conqueror doesn't need one. Now, deja vu. There is a strong tower in the middle of the city, and the people fled inside when the outer city has fallen. It is a stronghold and the tower. What do you think, what would you do if you were Abimelech? In Abimelech's hatred and pride, he determined to wipe out the whole city. So he resorted to what, he, what worked last time. So he wants to burn it from the ground up. Just when the terror is going to happen again, here comes the anticlimax Bible loves to give. 
in verse 53. Just when Abimelech's sin, sin seems out of control, just when the injustice in God's land is spreading, it is, to, it is said, a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. What? <laughs> what? An upper millstone that is light enough for a woman to carry and throw is probably, probably around 50 to, no more than 50 to 100 pounds. But still, if you drop a 10-pound dumbbell on your toe from waist high, and that hurts you a lot, dropping a 50-pound stone on top of someone's head is lethal. That upper millstone was lethal. But I want you to think about this. There wasn't a hero who single-handedly defeated Abimelech's army and had an epic showdown with him at the end. There was only a lowly woman who was even unnamed. Jael was named, but this woman wasn't even named, who carried one stone, went up the tower, and dropped it as, a, as the Galileo's <laughs> gravity experiment, and nailed Abimelech's head so that no one can take the glory of judgment from God this time. Thus, the megalomaniac tyrant is on his last breaths because of an unnamed woman. Even then, he would not give up his pride and accept his shameful end, but turned to his armor bearer and said, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him, and his young men thrust him through, and he died. Ironically, that is exactly how Israel remembered him as. In, in, in 2 Samuel verse 11, chapter 11, 22, 21, you don't have to turn there, when David is committing adultery with Bathsheba, he's trying, to, he's trying to kill Uriah by the hand of the Philistines. And when that is done, he, Joab did so by sending Uriah by, near the city gate. And he, caught, he, was caught in, he was caught in enemy lines, and he was killed that way. Now, when Joab is sending the report back to David, he predicted what David would say. And, and David would probably say, why did you send my men close to the city? Why don't you remember that Abimelech, the son of, son of Gideon, was killed by a woman who threw an upper millstone on him? So it, be, it really became a shame and, and just a failure to Israel. And the Bramble king is dead, thus repaid, crushed by one stone. The men of Israel saw the death of their leader and went home pretending to have nothing to do with the evil they have committed. Now we're going to pause here for a moment. Abimelech's story is definitely one of those that feels suffocating when you actually read it. I think it is good to remind ourselves how destructive sin really is, and that is my first point. Self-worship leads to self-destruction. Self-worship leads to self-destruction. Abimelech's character is laid exposed right in front of us. One who has no pretense to be a king, in the land of God. Someone who took advantage of God and served himself. Someone who sought all the glory for himself, went full ego, egotistic. And he, if he doesn't get it, he does not hesitate to unleash terror and taking advantage of other, taking advantage of other people. We also see another character group, the people of Israel, represented by the leaders of Shechem who betrayed Abimelech as soon, as, as quickly as they betrayed Gideon and, and their Yahweh. I want you to think of this. The sheer amount of horror, the death, the injustice, the burning are all caused by sin. 
whether it is Abimelech's self-worship or the people's infidelity. It's they meet their end the same way they, de- they did evil to each other. Just as Proverbs 1, 31 to 32 says, The evil ones shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroy them. And ultimately, it is the Lord who promises to judge sin, bringing them the righteous punishment. If you have not been saved and have been given your life to the glory of God today, know that whatever you think will give you joy, peace, power, or wealth in this life will enslave you and ultimately destroy you. Not only you, but everyone around you. But if you have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ that makes you, that, that, that makes you give the glory to God alone, you've got to be extra mindful of the grace given to you. For you have been given a greater accountability. Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4, 11 to 13, a well-known verse, plainly says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I'm, I'm going to ask you plainly, are you harboring sins in your life in any way you know? Have you taken advantage of the environment God has put you in to work for your own profit? Men, are you harboring sexual sins? Children, are you obeying your parents on the surface while doing everything that, you, that, that, that your parents instructed you as not good? As a church, do we choose not to expose sin, even though Matthew 18 and Galatians 6.1 clearly instructs us to? Favoring, favoring our own convenience, take pride in our culture, or, or possessing the power over our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who in love and in perfect holiness took our sins and redeemed us from the path of destruction so that we are buried with Him having no, and raised with Him to the glory of the Father to walk in the newness of life. As Romans 6, 4 said, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? The new wine will burst the old wine skin. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God and to his enemies we, he will utterly cast out to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christians, do not forget the damage of sin and harbor them in your lives. If your heart is divided, serving masters, you are serving masters other than God. You are double-minded, unstable in all your ways. Sin conceives death. Any self-worship leads to self-destruction. But, ju- in, but injustice is not how, how the author ends the story. God doesn't leave us tumbling in sin. The author continued, in verse, in verse 56 in chapter 9. God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the per- curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. After Abimelech there arose, in chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Puah, son of Dodo, man of Essachar, as he lived in Shamir in the, in the hill country of Ephraim, as he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. After him arose Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. 
And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called Havoth-Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Canaan. We've already touched on how God repaid evil with evil, causing the sins of Abimelech and Israel to fall in each other through the curse of Jotham. But I want to, do quickly, I want to quickly point out some things from this five verses of chapter 10. First of all, who was Israel saved from? In the past, past passages, Israel was saved from Philistines, from Amorites, Ammonites, and all the, all, the, all the outside enemies. But there is no enemy mentioned here except Israel itself. Israel was saved from its own sin of idolatry and godlessness. Secondly, notice how God still chose to save Israel, even though Israel did not call on him. After his judgment on the sin of Gideon, Abimelech, and the people of Israel, he chose mercy to save Israel from itself. And folks, that is our God. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. That is my second point. God gives more grace. If you have not been saved, know that God's salvation is ready for you. So that if you see the destruction of your sins and repent of them, believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross, taking your account of sin and on himself to righteously erase the punishment of your sin. That and rose again to give new life, living in righteousness for God instead of your own self-worship. God's mercy will save you from yourself. Christians, if you have truly tasted the goodness of the Lord and if His joy of salvation is still in you, His grace will never fail if you repent of your sins. In fact, God jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. God is not a merchant who deals grace when you do good things for him. Instead, there is nothing you can do to merit his grace, except that he chose to love you first, and he put his spirit in you so you can love him back. The hound of heaven have made a promise by his namesake to love you and give you grace as you are a sinner. If you have, if you have sins harboring in your life, return back to God and his grace is ready for you. Don't think that you are not able to, to still have the grace. God, does not, God, if you are in Christ and believe in the power of Jesus Christ, God's grace has erased your sin. So live righteously. For all here today who have, who have heard the story of Abimelech, convicted of their sins and desiring grace and holiness, I urge you by the words of James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Let, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. God is giving us a warning. Destruction and judgment will fall on whoever chooses to sin against him. But this is an act of mercy. This warning, by the judgment of sinners, we know not to follow sin, but to follow righteousness. Do not follow the way of Abimelech, who sought glory for himself, nor, fo nor follow the way of the people of Israel, who forgot God and chose their own way of, of idolatry. Rather, remember God's judgment and his mercy. 
May the word of God pierce through you for conviction of sin and lead you on a path of righteousness worthy of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, reading this heavy passage, Lord, give us, use your warning. Let us heed that warning. Do not harden our hearts, Lord. Lord, soften our hearts, Lord, to, to have the conviction of sin. Remember what you have saved us from and live that way. Lord, if we are your people, as Israel was your people, as we read this, let us follow you. Let us obey you as you are our God and we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.